bless your people today. I pray, Lord, that in this time called the beginning of sorrows, that we won't get under that atmosphere and that attitude. You said, Lord, when we see these things begin to come to pass, the beginning of sorrows, when we see those things begin, not when we get into them, but when we see them begin, we need to lift up our head for our redemption draweth nigh. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Help us to magnify Jesus and glorify the Father in the name of Jesus. Spirit of truth, come and guide us into the truth of the word today. Hallelujah. I bow to you. I humble myself under your mighty hand today to, to be honored and privileged to minister your word to your people and to my own soul. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. If you get under this atmosphere of the last days, of the perilous time, you will not raise your eyes. And if you don't raise your eyes, you won't see the fields that are white unto harvest. You won't, you won't seize the opportunity to be the witness that God has called you and commissioned you to be. Can you say amen? Amen. It's true in my life. There are ministers that are so focused on building their ministry that they don't even see the harvest field anymore. They don't have a personal witness. And sometimes not only do they not have a testimony that can touch others for Christ, but they have, they have such a bad attitude <laughs> that some people can't believe they're actual ministers because outside the pulpit, they're not kind and they're not considerate and they're impatient and they treat uh, people with, uh, without the love that God wants us to show them and the respect. We are, we're very fortunate. We got a, we got the security guy at, at uh, Best Buy, uh, that, <laughs> that, that can't wait for us to come in. Praise God. We got, we got people who, who want to, want to, want to serve us and want to bless us. <laughs> God has given us favor simply because we're kind. It's a fruit of the Spirit that a lot of people don't try to develop. It's kindness. little girl got down to pray, said, Lord, make all the, all the bad people good and make all the good people kind. Can you say amen? Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a product of His work in our life. Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Can you say, man, I'm amazed constantly. And we've been practicing uh, letting that fruit develop in our life for years and years and years. And God continues to bless. When we go to get an ice cream and they weigh it out, they don't want to give you too much for a dollar. Amen. So they weigh that they got this thing, you know, they don't want it to be too tall. It gets so tall. The last one time we got one so tall, I handed it to my wife and it was so tall because they want to bless us that our ice cream cup runneth over. Can you say it just, it, <laughs> it fell over and she had to pick it up and stick it back on. It didn't fall in the floor. I mean, you know, but <laughs> fell in her lap and, and she picked it up, stuck it back on, eat that bad boy. Amen. But the point is they want to bless us. 
They want to bless us. I waited in a long line because I was afraid to go back to the car without that ice cream. Amen. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I love my wife and I wanted to bless her. Praise God. Amen. And, and, and when I got up there, two people had said, y'all need to get some help in there. Well, they'd lost some people. Some people didn't show up. They couldn't help it. And when I got up there, I smiled and I said, I said, I said, I'd like to. Uh, two ice cream cones, please. Vanilla chocolate twist. And, uh, and, and I said, and, and be sure. And they look back kind of scared, you know, and be sure and make us two of those yummy ones. And that set it off from that day on. Amen. They come and say, here's your yummy ice cream cone. And it's taller than the regular ice cream cone. Just because you're kind. When I went, we went to the cleaners. I'm not bragging on us. I'm telling you, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to develop all of the fruit. Not just faith and, and, and this one that you choose. You pick and choose like a cafeteria. He wants all of it. Because what it really is, it's reproducing and replicating the character of Jesus in you and in me. We're the only Jesus some of these people will ever encounter until they meet the Lord as their Savior. Can you say amen? So when we, we've been with the same cleaners for how many years since, since we've been in Plant City, since we moved to Plant City. And my second trip to the cleaners, because I go in with a smile, and if they say it didn't get back, it's okay because I got enough to carry me if it didn't get back on time. Not going to throw a, a hissy fit. Y'all know what a hissy fit is, don't you? Okay, you've, you've threw it, and I can tell. Amen. <laughs> so you know what it looks like. And, and the first thing they asked me, because they saw my coat, and they said, you're a minister, right? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said, aren't ministers supposed to be kind? They were looking for something like that they believe, whether Christian or not, they believe that Jesus was kind. And they believe those who represent him should be kind. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Amen. Kindness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, it is the character of God Himself. Thy loving kindness. We used to sing it. It's a psalm. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Praise God. Amen. How excellent is. You see, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. High above all the evil intentions of your enemy. A tower of strength. A tower of protection. A place of safety. And, and the reason we put our trust in Him and run to Him is because we understand His character, His person, not just His power. Now, Pentecostals, I want to give you a warning today. If you are just seeking power, you will never know the person. You do not fall in love with power. You enjoy it. You employ it. But you don't fall in love with the power of God. You don't fall in love with the presence of God expressed as sensing his overwhelming, powerful presence. I love the presence of God. But you don't fall in love with those goose pimples and liver shivers. 
You don't fall in love. You've got to know a person to fall in love with him. And you don't know the person just by those encounters with his power. And that's why Pentecostals, many people that shout, dance, run, prophesy, backslide. How could they backslide? Running, dancing, and shouting at the same time. Because they're encountering his power and they never devoted to his person. Let not the mighty man, the scripture said in the Old Testament, it's reiterated verbatim in the New Testament. Let not the mighty man rejoice in his might. Let not the rich man rejoice in his riches. Let not the wise man rejoice in his wisdom. But he that rejoices, he that boasts, he that glorieth is the word that's used for boasting. He that glorieth, let him glory in this, that he knows and understands me, saith God. Can you say amen? That he what? Knows. Oh, that I might what? This is a man that the average Pentecostal would never seek anymore because they'd say it don't get any better than this. The Apostle Paul said, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know about that. I can't determine. But such a man, he's talking about himself, but he didn't want to boast in himself. Such a man was caught up in the third heaven. And I saw things that I can't utter. It's just beyond my verbiage to tell you about. John saw things and he was able to delineate it and talk to us about it. But what happened to Paul? He was caught up into third heaven. And whatever happened to him was so glorious. Amen. That, that he, he said, I'm in a straight betwixt two after that experience. Amen. I, I, I have a desire to depart. And to be with Christ, which is far better, literally in the Greek, far better there than here. Somebody say, tell me about it. It's got to be better there than here. And he said, it's far better there than here. He said, to be absent from the body is not to cease to exist. It is to immediately be present with the Lord. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Well, if you don't ever fall in love with him, you'll never devote to him. And if you never devote to him, with, with any sense of devotion. If all you have is emotion. I love emotion. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's an emotion. It's an attitude. And an emotion in your heart. He hath made me glad. More than the time that their oil and wine did increase. But let me tell you about Pentecostal emotionalism. We had a church full of people. Ready to run and dance and shout and talk in tongues. But as time went on, many of them fell away. Do you know why they fell away? It's not because they didn't dance. It's not because they didn't shout. It's not because they didn't talk in tongues. They were power-centered instead of person-centered. You don't devote to power. Yeah, you do in a sense. You go where you can fall out under the power. You go where you can get the best blessing. Not the teaching that would mature you, but just the immediate blessing. And I'm going to tell you, that's not enough. You're up against an enemy that will wait till you're done shouting. He'll wait till you're through speaking in tongues. And his attack will come, and you better have something more than that emotional response to the presence of God. You'd better know the truth. And you need the shield of faith to defeat him. 
I don't want you to become part of the frozen chosen. I want you to get excited. I want you to get enthusiastic. I hope you don't want me to become a monotone preacher. I believe you're here because of the power of God. Amen. Now, there are people here that have a license to carry. No one's going to walk through that door and do damage without having some damage done. That's just wisdom. Amen. That's just wisdom. That's the time that we're living in. We're living in a different time. Sell what you have and buy a sword, Jesus said. Did he say that? Yes, he did. He, was, he didn't just literally mean to, you know, carry weapons all the time, but he didn't tell sword Peter to lay down his sword. He said, put it up. Put it back in the sheath. Now is not the appropriate time to use it. Why did they carry it? Because thieves fell on people, killed them. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's why a man on the cross on either side of Jesus was being killed, not just because they robbed, but because they killed the people they robbed. Because there's no forensic, dead men tell no tales. Let me tell you about, about getting under it. How many people have you seen that at one time ran well? They ran full out for God. They were so enthusiastic. And what takes me back as years go by and they begin to lose their devotion to Jesus and ministers the same way that they fall away. And you say, how could that? The way this put in the Old Testament, Saul was anointed at one point. Saul was anointed to be a king over Israel and to be a leader in battle. Jonathan was anointed. He became a personal, devoted friend to David. He loved him with a pure love that had no, uh, no ulterior motive, even more than a man loved a woman. And this is not about homosexuality. This is about a deep abiding love. But when push came to shove, his devotion to his dad and his devotion to his family took precedence over his devotion to God and to David. And he fell, such a sweet friend to David. He fell in battle to the enemies of Israel. Saul fell in battle. But at one time, concerning the power of the anointing on their life, the Bible said they were swift as eagles. In battle, they led the battle, they won the battle. No enemy could defeat them. They were devoted to God, they were obedient to God, they were right with God. But when they lost that devotion and they began to go their own way, and Jonathan, he, he knew his dad was wrong, he knew he was wrong, but his family obligation. You know, there's some people in church today because their family goes to that dead church. And they're going to go where their family goes at the expense of their own spiritual life. But there they sit this morning. <laughs> Amen. Someone said at 12 o'clock is when the church gives up. It's dead. 12 o'clock, most services are over. Amen. Well, I say what Jesus said when he says, come and follow me. I got to go bury my daddy. That was a common excuse in that day for not doing something. A very common excuse. It doesn't mean that you have to be so devoted to God that you don't go to the funeral of a dear family member. It means is you quit making excuses for not following God. It's more important than the things that we try to excuse ourselves. One man said, I got to go bury my daddy. 
I told you about the guy when I worked for Tampa Electric that his dad was having his gallbladder out and he had to go to Georgia to the hospital because his dad was up in years. And he always went during deer season because there was a piece of ground that he went to hunt on up in Georgia. And the next year he forgot the excuse he used for the last year. So he went in and he said to the the plant manager, I need a week off. My dad is having his gallbladder out and he's up in years and I need to be there. The plant manager remembered the excuse he used last year. And he said, just how many gallbladders does your daddy have? <laughs> he caught him in the lie and he, he saw through his excuse and he said to him, he said, if you want to keep your job and your career with Tampa Electric, you better be here Monday morning. And that guy clammed up because he had a lot invested in his retirement with Tampa Electric. Let me tell you something today. There's always excuses. Listen how, how, how frivolous they become. We can always find excuses if we're not devoted to the Lord. He said, I, I got to go bury my daddy. Jesus saw right through it. He knew his daddy wasn't dead. He called for his devotion to be beyond that. God wants you to radically commit to him. But he wants you to do it because you love him with all of your heart. Not because he demands it, but because he deserves it. Somebody, not because he demands it, but because he deserves it. He doesn't deserve this half-baked, half-hearted, Devotion that is so status quo in Christianity today. He deserves better than that. Can you say, man? We call him Lord. We need to. He is Lord. That's not the question. The question is, is he your Lord? Are you devoted enough to him to let him master you? To let him lead you. To let him guide you. To not let anyone or anything come between you or him. Because if something can, if you're devoted to something more than him, if the kingdom isn't first because the king isn't first, Satan's going to use whatever is first to get you to lose your devotion to Christ. And you can backslide while still going to church. Church is full of backsliders. Thank God for revivals. Thank God for true revival. Amen. Turn with me with devotion in mind to Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Let me finish setting this up so we can get right through it. But we don't want to rush too much through it. I've been in Pentecost. I'm Pentecostal from my head to my feet. But if you don't get some knowledge before you leave here, and if you don't apply it to your life, the enemy that you face is a liar and the father of it. He will appeal to your flesh. And your flesh is susceptible to every appeal of the devil. And if you don't crucify your flesh, and if you don't grow spiritually, you will find yourself falling away. You will find yourself eventually in a backslidden state. And you can be in a backslidden state sitting in church. If you're in a church where God can convict you, and the word of God can convince you that you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Amen. God can fix you. 
if you stay away because you're convicted and you go sit with everybody else in a church where you're not convicted and you'll never be convinced that you need to rededicate, you won't rededicate. But you'll show up on Sunday because just in case I need a miracle. And listen, you're going to need a miracle. There's going to be something come along. You're going to need God to come through. You're going to need help from above. There are things your insurance can't cover and your doctor can't handle. And when those things occur, you need a God that can come through and will come through in your life. And you need to do more than build your faith. You need to deepen your devotion to Him. He doesn't make it easy because He wants you to defeat the flesh. If any one of you, anybody, if you would be my disciple, if you would be a follower of me, you must begin by denying yourself. It's a prerequisite. We go to churches today, many Christians, for self-indulgence. We're entertained by the choir. We're entertained by the music. Everything is so well planned. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to invest your time. You don't have to, uh, actually, uh, you, you just invest your tithe. That's all they're really interested in. Can you say, man, they're not interested in developing you. They're interested in using the the money that comes in to build this and to build that. But to build the body of Christ requires some teaching that helps you to crucify the flesh. And it starts out with, not with self-indulgence. It starts out with self-denial. If any man would follow me, let him first, foremost, deny himself. Second, take up his cross. Take up his cross. Oh, what a... There are so many people into self that misinterpret taking up your cross. Well, Brother Venable, I'm suffering taking up my cross. They're, my friends forsook me because I'm following Jesus. They're so bad. I'm poor, poor, pitiful me. Booty who on you. The Bible said when that occurs, you need to rejoice. When that occurs, you need to be exceedingly glad. You shouldn't be astonished. Marvel not that the world hate you. It hated me. You know what happened last Easter? My wife is in the bathroom. She's behind the door in the bathroom, you know, in the private place. Amen. And there's a teenage girl and her mother at the mirror, whatever. And the teenage, the music is starting in here. The praise music on Easter Sunday. And the teenage girl said, I would like to go in that room. And tell everybody in there that Jesus isn't real. It bothered her that we're praising God in this room. And they could hear the music beginning over there in the bathroom. It marvel not. Why? Why, why, why be so upset? If he's not real, why should it bother you? Why? God isn't, you know, the, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. But I'm going to tell you something. We're living in the last of the last days. And Satan, 
that dragon hated the woman that brought forth the man-child. Initially, that is the nation of Israel. It is not Mary because Mary doesn't have to run to the wilderness and hide to keep the Antichrist from destroying her. This is the, the, the nation of Israel. Jesus came through Jewish lineage and the dragon hated the woman that brought forth the man-child. He wanted to kill Jesus in his infancy in China. Right now, they're concerned about so many Christians in China, so many people being saved in China. And you know what they have said and their own record is saying? We must kill the baby before he grows into a man. In other words, stop this movement in its infancy before it grows up to be a real force that can affect the politics and the policies in China who does disregards human rights altogether. Marxist, Leninist, and atheism has dominated China. But in the middle of that atheism, God is pouring out His Spirit. And there is a vibrant, devoted, dedicated church in China today. It's underground, driven underground by the government, suffering persecution, but absolutely committed and dedicated to Jesus. So I watched emotion take the place of devotion. One of the greatest things we would do back in my early days we would have a Holy Ghost service, and I love them. I love a Holy Ghost service, but I didn't learn anything. I didn't get any knowledge through falling out. I prayed for a lady when I first started pastoring in Plant City. She was carrying such weight and such burdens. It's a wonder she didn't have a heart attack. It can cause a heart attack. She's weeping, crying through the whole service. And it's not conviction. It's just her troubles are overwhelming her. And I felt the compassion of God. And I felt the power of God. And I went to pray for her. And down she went under the anointing. I mean, God's presence so powerful that it overwhelmed her overwhelmness. And she went down under the power of God. She got up shouting and talking in tongues and took a lap around the building. And I thought, thank God for victory. That's what I thought. I thought, I mean, this is victory. This is a breakthrough right here. See, I had to learn. I had to learn. And at the end of the service, she was standing at the back door, and I went back there to shake her hand, and I thought, boy, I can't wait to hear this testimony, what the Lord has done for her. And I went back to shake her hand, and she started weeping. And it wasn't weeping under the anointing. It wasn't weeping under devotion and love for Jesus. It was weeping because she had the same burden. She had the same worry. She had the same fear strangling her that she had when she walked in the building. After falling out, doing a lap around the building, it was, you know what that was? Yes, she was in the presence of God, but it allowed that emotion like a pressure cooker Anybody ever seen a pressure cooker when the steam, they got a little thing on top to let that steam come out before it explodes? Amen. She blew off some steam 
But she didn't get delivered. She did not get set free. She could not and did not commit her way into the Lord or cast her burden on the Lord. She went home as sick in her soul and mind as she was when she walked in. But boy, we had a good time for five minutes. You don't put your trust in power. You put your trust in a person looking unto who? Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith. She said, Brother Venerable, pray, pray, pray. It's a panic attitude. If God don't do something, I don't know what's going to happen. If God don't do something, who do you think we're talking to here? We're talking to a God who said, call on me. In the time of trouble, I God don't mince words. That's why faith comes by the word of God. God don't mince words. God does not mince words. Call on me in the time of trouble. I will deliver you. Psalm 50, verse 15, and thou shalt glorify me. I will deliver you. I will deliver you. I will deliver you. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have whatsoever you say it. But if there's no faith to receive, it doesn't matter whether you fall out. It doesn't matter whether you... I'm not preaching against that. I'm telling you, don't put your... You don't get faith from it. You don't get faith from it. And your shield isn't up. And the fiery darts still come through. I thought we had a breakthrough. I was wrong. And I found out that when it come time for Bible study, when it come time for the gifts to operate, we filled the building wall to wall at the Holy Church of God. I had 8 to 12 people come to Bible study. 8 to 12 people out of over 100 that came to the services. But boy, did we have some services, didn't we? Didn't God move? People were healed. There were there were words of of uh, words of knowledge. There were words of uh, just just gifts of the Spirit in operation. And people came for the charismata. They came for the gifts of the Spirit, but they didn't grow. They didn't grow because you don't grow by receiving gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, there was a church that had all of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in full operation. And it was chaos. Chaos. The flesh was in control instead of the Holy Spirit. God sent Paul or really anointed Paul, inspired him to set it in order. Let everything be done in decency and in order. One person would stand to prophesy. He didn't say they were not anointed. He didn't say there wasn't a prophecy to give. We've had people that will interrupt the whole service to exercise their gift. It doesn't matter if we're making an altar call. And the time is totally inappropriate. No wisdom. No understanding. Spirit is subject to the prophet. I was in a meeting. The altar call was being made. It was a camp meeting. Never forget it. 
conviction was on the crowd. People were coming to the altar to receive Christ as their Savior. And a man came walking down the aisle, bellowing something that he thought was God. The devil just used him to distract from the altar call. Totally inappropriate, totally out of order. And authoritatively, but very clearly, the minister, the evangelist said, Sir, please hold that. And you know something? He said, he said, I've got to obey God. You, and you see his attitude coming. You are quenching the Spirit. You're quenching God's Spirit. I remember it. You're quenching God's Spirit. And you know what he said? He said, I'm not quenching God's Spirit. I'm quenching yours. That needs to be said. There needs to be somebody in control. Somebody in authority. Amen. It's brought a reproach on the real and the genuine. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want the real and I want the genuine. But I know there are people that would rather have a camp meeting type service where you sense his presence than you get to know his person enough to trust him. How excellent is thy loving kindness. That's his person, his character, his nature. Therefore, the sons of men put their trust under the shadow of his wings. It's what you know about him that causes you to be able to trust him. It's not what you feel when his power and presence comes. So we dance, we shout, we speak in other tongues, and that was going on. And listen to what Paul said. He talked about the fruit of the Spirit growing in our own character as opposed to the gifts of the Spirit. He never disqualified any gift. He just said they will never be in order until there's a foundation of the fruit of the Spirit. And he started with the first and foremost fundamental foundational fruit. Though I speak in tongues of men and angels... And have not, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Foremost. The most indicative of the, of, of the person of God Himself. God is love. He has power, but He is love. And without love, what His tongues become? That powerful expression of the Holy Spirit's presence in God's presence. What does tongues become without the fruit of love in your life and mine? Sounding brass. Everybody say, and tinkling cymbal. It actually is something that distracts. If, did you know, Paul said, if an unlearned person comes in and everyone is self-edifying, everybody in the room is speaking in other tongues, and I can't clearly delineate the gospel so he can come to Christ as his Savior, He said it's completely out of order. And he wanted to make clear we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He said, though I speak in tongues more than anyone here. If someone unlearned comes in the congregation, I would rather speak five words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So they could come to Christ. Then 10,000 words in other tongues. Amen. And what I found out early on in Pentecost is 
people would rather come to church, receive the charismata and the blessing of it, than to come to church and study the Word of God. And therefore, they never grew up. They grew old, but they didn't grow up. And I'm going to tell you what it does to a pastor when people don't mature. You know what it does? What do babies do all the... Lord have mercy. I must be getting older. Have you ever been in a store and down an aisle? There is a child that is screaming bloody murder because they didn't get the little rubber duck they saw up on the shelf. And they scream and they scream and they wail and they holler. And, you know, you don't want to give them the rubber duck, do you? You know what you'd like to give them? Amen. What my mama gave me when I did that. I found out a long time ago that didn't work on my mama. That didn't even work on my dear old daddy. I'd go to, I'd go to discipline our children and granddaddy would say, Oh, Bobby. Oh, Bobby. He didn't mean it. And I thought, Where, what, what changed you? When did the change come in you? Can you say, man, what happened to you? When it was me, it was different. Go get me a limb. Go cut me a limb. A limb? Don't you? A limb? You're going to whoop me with a limb? What about a switch? No, he didn't beat me with a limb. That's just his Kentucky jargon for a switch. My grandmother, she took care of business. She calls, you're going to get hickory tea. Hickory tea. How nice. <laughs> No, hickory tea was a switch. And then my daddy would say, if you don't quit that, I'm going to fix your little red wagon. My little red wagon? I don't have a little red wagon. And I found out I did have a little red wagon. And it was right here. Amen? Some people grew old, but they never grew up. They could never help the church. They could only draw. They always wanted attention. And some people use their spiritual gifts just to get attention. Hear me. One time we had the dueling prophet. Somebody had prophesied. And another person who normally prophesies, that person had prophesied before they got up. It was just like First Corinthians 13 all over again. And this person stood up and I knew their spirit and I knew their attitude. And here it came. It showed up. And the Lord would say unto thee a greater thing yet. And I thought, wait a minute. When did we start comparing and competing that whatever this prophet, this person prophesied, this person here is going to say something that's way better than that person said. And that's why Paul went down there and said, if you prophesy, take turns. And if someone is beginning to bring a message... And you got a message, you hold your message until that message is over. Because the Spirit, believe it or not, the Spirit, the Spirit is subject to the prophet. You have to choose in wisdom, with maturity, the time. We were at a funeral. Took care of the funeral. Brought the message. Funeral directors come in, a sweet, patient young lady. And somebody brings a message. It was out of order. It wasn't time for a message. It was time for a prayer. 
and to call people to Christ. It was out of timing. It was out of tune. But the person had to bring the message. The, the, the lady walking down, she don't understand. I have prayed the, getting ready to pray the final prayer. But the message is coming. Was it God? No. Was there an interpretation? No. Did I get the interpretation? No, I knew immediately. Somebody's got to know. You can't just have a free-for-all. Somebody's got to know and say, no, that's out of order. And I'm going to tell you, the average Pentecostal with gifts doesn't like to be told they're out of order. You'll lose them. They'll go to a church where they can have a free-for-all. And most Pentecostals would be glad to have it. You should have been, I understand this, I get this, don't get me wrong. But I've heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times, I've said it myself. You should have been to church today. Boy, you missed it today. The preacher didn't even preach. God took over and we just had a big old time. All right, that's fine. Do you want that in every service? You better not. You better not. You better not because the scripture said, I, I will give you shepherds after my own heart and they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge of understanding of what? Not of anything less than the person of God himself. Let's let him glory in this that he knows and understands me. For they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the sons of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wing. They trust the Lord because they know him. They know his love. They devote to him because they know him. I've had people come into our congregation very difficult to teach because they know, they know, and they try to tell me what to preach. They try to tell me how to pray. And I thought, you're in the wrong church. You're talking to a pastor here. You're talking to somebody who's done this for a while. Amen. I don't, I, I don't, <laughs> if you're going to tell me, what are you doing here? You need to go rent a building. The day the sheep lead the past shepherd, something's out of kilter. Amen. Pentecostals are hard to teach, to be honest with you, except for you guys. You're different. Thank God you're different. Amen. I don't want to pastor you if you know it all. What can I give you? I had a lady come to me months, actually some years ago. Somebody had come new into, into our congregation. And that person who is supposed to be on this spiritual plane told me, said, this person is a prophetess. And I thought, well, so you say. She may be, she may not be. I don't know. But I'm not going to take it because you say it. In fact, it proved out not only was not this person a prophetess, she was out of order in our services. When she left, I was glad to see her go. I thought, thank you, Lord, that she left instead of me having to have a word with her and her leave with her feathers ruffled. We used to have people sing five songs without asking. 
taking up the time for prayer and preaching. Using the platform of our church to, to really get their own ministry focused. And when they left, instead of saying thank you for the years and tears and investment in my life in the Word, they said, I'm out of here. I'm going on to bigger and better things. Did they go on to bigger and better things? No, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty. That's what put me on my knees last night, by the way. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due season. Not when you think you're ready. You declare you're ready, but when he knows you're ready. And he won't exalt you at all if it's going to propel you into a pride that he can't use you anymore because you're going to do your own thing. I called a pastor about a lady that came in our church. She came, boy, she was, she was bad news. She came to divide. Sixth thing the Lord doth hate. Seven is an abomination to him. Number one is pride. And number seven is he that sows discord among the brethren. Amen. She, she started that mess, and she, was abs- she said some prophetic thing supposedly over me, and I knew it wasn't God, and I didn't receive it. I'm not obligated to submit myself to somebody that walks through the door declaring themselves to be an apostle. You know what the Bible said, commending in the book of Revelation, the church, Thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and found them to be liars. And I commend you. You've got to try it, beloved. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits and see if they be of God or not. Believe not every spirit. Why? Because it's no marvel if Satan himself be transformed, present himself as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. Can you say amen? There is a gift and it's not discernment. It is a gift of the Spirit called discerning of spirits. You can be around someone presenting themselves as, as one of the greatest, godliest persons you've ever met, but the Holy Spirit will raise a flag and say something's wrong here. And you don't have to judge that person, but you can be alerted to the fact something just isn't right. And the thing that raises the biggest flag flag to me is if a person is that spiritual, spiritual means more like Jesus. It doesn't mean just visions and dreams and manifestations. Say it with me. Spiritual means more like Jesus. Because the product of the Holy Spirit is the reproduction of his character in my heart and my life and yours. Love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, hallelujah, meekness, goodness, kindness. Wow, that's a spiritual person. Can you say amen? But in Pentecost, we present our gifts and our anointings to indicate our spirituality instead of our love, our meekness, our humility, And we can't show the world Jesus. We can't demonstrate to a lost and gainsaying world. Amen. Jesus. 
Jesus. Oh, Paul said that I might know him in the fellowship of his sufferings that I might also know him in the power of his resurrection. Do you know where I'm coming from today? Do you understand why I'm not trying to just emotionally stimulate you? Because emotion won't take you through the storms of life. So many people I looked up to spiritually backslid, fell away, marriages fell apart. And I said, oh, Lord, Lord, we've got to get this hunger for your truth and this hunger for your word. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The Bible said to seek him. Until he come and listen, this is a hunger to be right with God. Until he come and reign. Don't stop seeking him until he come. Let it rain. Till he, rain is not the goose pimple, the liver shiver. I love it. I feel it. I love to get in the presence of God and get overwhelmed by it. But I would not be standing here today if that's all I got from God. Can you say amen? Because there's some dark valleys and you better, you better know something about God. You, they that do know their God will make it through. Amen. I boast in that. I glory that I know my God. And I know when it's not God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And there's a gift called discerning of spirits. And I require because of that gift that someone manifests Jesus, not just power. Amen. I'm looking for a person in that person. I want to feel peace. God's not the author of confusion. I don't want to feel threatened, not because of their spirituality, but because of their spirit, their attitude. Some people want to lord over you, to dominate you. Jesus is your Lord, not me. Hallelujah. I want you to bow to Him and no other. Praise God. But I want you to respect me enough in my walk with God. And knowledge of scripture to listen and to learn. Praise God. Amen. Because if you do, you're going to find you've got a shield. And it's not the little Roman meal target shield. Amen. (laughs) Target uses that round emblem. Listen, this is a mighty shield, 48 inches tall, about three foot wide, and you can actually can't see the warrior for the shield. And you can shoot at it all you want to, but you're not hitting any vital part of that, that warrior. And that army with those shields linked together in unity is marching forward. Hallelujah. And it looks like a wall that can't be stopped. No wonder Roman, Roman, uh, uh, Soldiers had such victories in battle because they had a battle plan and they had the right armor to fight that battle to win it. And when they got close to their enemy, then they could drop that shield and use this little short, short, close enough, it was for close combat. That sword wasn't the great big one that the knights of the round table used. It was a short sword. And you pull it from the sheath. And then on your arm, you have a buckler. On top of that shield, there's a what they call a buckler, a little target shield that buckles to the arm. And you go in with that, and you're close enough to destroy your enemy. It's too late to stop you now. 
because you've come as a wall that can't be stopped and now you're standing toe to toe and you've got a sword of the Spirit called the Word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I tell you, there's victory in Jesus today. There's, but only in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we come through so much. We've seen so much. I used to tell people all the time I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Can you say man? I don't want sounding brass. I want the real deal. I want the real person. Uh, oh, the Holy Spirit is not just a power giver. He is a person. Can you say man? It's all about knowing God, the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Amen. And knowing Him, knowing Him, they that do know their God will be strong and they will do exploits. So at the Holy Church of God years ago, we had people come from all over because of the gifts of the Spirit. And we could barely get enough people to have a Sunday school class. Eight to twelve people when I taught Sunday school Pastor's Bible class on Sunday morning. Don Norman came from Africa. He had one of the largest churches in Africa at that time. They established 46 satellite churches out of his church in Africa. When he came to America, he came because his life was in danger. They were killing people for preaching the gospel. He came to America. He came to our church to minister. He was setting up his tapes and stuff in that little ante room. And, uh, of course, I caught flack over that because I was accused by a group of men of buying and selling in the temple. Number one, this is not the temple. The church is not the temple. Your body is the temple. And letting somebody offer a tape for an offering for their ministry in the ante room has nothing to do with the sanctuary. It's not buying and selling. And I told them so. And they promptly left and called me names. And I thought, you know, I don't want to hear tongues from anybody with that attitude. I don't want to hear prophesying from anybody with that attitude. That's wrong. That's flat out just wanting to fuss about everything. God used this man to establish 46 churches, and they want to jump on him and jump on me. And I said, I don't need that. Matter of fact, one of them's wife gave us a hard time. I was downstairs mopping the floor. <laughs> in that basement. And after four years, this person finally came under conviction came to the door and give the worst apology that you could possibly give anybody. Knowing all the grief and trouble that they had caused, came to the door crying, wanting to get that guilt off them. So I'd already forgiven the person. I can't afford the luxury of, of holding some bitterness or unforgiveness. Well, Brother Venable, you can't forgive them until they ask you. Yeah, you can. You better. You just go ahead and do it. Praise God. It's even better if they ask you. But this is worse. 
Brother Venable, if, I'm not mocking, I'm just telling you, Brother Venable, if I've ever done anything to her, if you've ever done anything, what are you crying about if you don't know what you did? You must know what you did. You're under deep conviction. What, what are you here for? You didn't do nothing. I just came to tell you I didn't do nothing. Forget about it. Go your way. Have a big time. And I said, don't. I knew it was a, a phony. <laughs> it's, it's just phony. You know what? <laughs> don't even bring your gift to the altar. If you know you've done somebody wrong. And they've got ought because you did something. By the way, if they don't tell you. Well, I went ahead and forgave. I didn't have to tell nobody. I forgave. I can't afford the luxury of carrying a grudge. My prayers, i got to have them answered. You don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. It's not what they did to you. It's what He did for you. Can you say amen? And when what they did to you is more influential in your life than what He did for you, you need to re-examine what He's done for you. And thank God every day for the cross and for the Christ who stayed on it so He could save a sorry sot like you and me. I mean me. Without God, without hope in this present world. Listen to me carefully. I said, it's okay. I knew what the person was trying to do, but not really doing it right. And I said, it's okay. In other words, just go on. Your, it's done. Let's don't rehash it. It's done. I forgive you. Now, I got a Florida mop. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought that. There's no way. Don't waste time blubbering. If you did something wrong, own up to it. Own it. If you didn't do nothing wrong, what are we what are we having this discussion for? What is God convicting you of? Just tell me. I talked about you. I ran you down. I pulled people away from church and I was wrong and I'm sorry. What? A Christian that talks in tongues? apologizing, admitting wrong, that's what holds back revival. Tongue-talking Christians that are too spiritual to humble themselves and admit their mistakes. So that went on, but thank the good Lord. When I heard that person was dying, my wife and I both called so we could both talk and pray with that person. And that person was so happy to hear from us, to know that the forgiveness that I gave was real and that we gave was real and it wasn't going to keep us from loving that person. And there was a victory that day. There, I just felt nothing but love. And that person felt love. And that person went out without any problem with me. <laughs> Amen. They went to heaven without any problem with me. And I believe they went with a clear conscience. Hallelujah. They didn't have to say anything. Their attitude of humility, amen, came through. God is so good. My mama, bless her heart. Closest thing to apology. She used to tell me nobody ever apologized to me, and I'm not apologizing to nobody. I mean, she was sweet, and she helped, uh, helped me all she could by working every day. But as far as hugging you and loving you like maternal inch, that wasn't there because her parents literally drove it out of her. I went in the nursing home to visit her, and she said, Bobby, 
Boy, she was tough on me. <laughs> she, oh my Lord, she was hard on me. And I said, and I was a good boy. I think I was. Honestly, I didn't do bad things. I was, you know, by the time I was 16 years old, I was like that dog y'all got. Remember the dog that had been abused? What's his name? Roxy. You just look at Roxy and Roxy flattened right out. Give her a hard look. Because she's afraid she's going to get beat. She's going to get hit. And you know what? They just love that right out of her. Can you say, man, <laughs> Roxy right now, oh boy, she'll be on you. And she won't bite you. She'll lap you and lick you and love on you. Listen, if you've been abused by somebody, give that to God. Get to know God. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared, revered, served, devoted to. Hallelujah. Trusted in. It's, you're, you're never more spiritual than when you manifest the character of Christ in your own life. Forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake forgives you. A little cliche came out of love story. The movie, sentimental movie, love story. And here's the little cliche. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Because if you love someone deep enough, you will never make a mistake, never mess up, never offend them. Everybody say baloney. Love means you're quick to say, I'm sorry. And it's easy to say, I'm sorry. Because you love that person, you really did not intend to fail them or hurt them. You just got upset. You said something in anger. You did something, and now you're apologizing. Love means, I'm sorry. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that that bitterness didn't get in me. That it did not fester Amen. So that I couldn't be a vessel that God could flow through. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I didn't get caught up in the trends. In 46 years, I've seen them come. Trends in Pentecostalism. Come and go. This new thing. That new thing. And I've watched God's people run to this and run to that. When they ought to learn how to run to God. And trust in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And I just don't want to see any more failure. I don't want to see any more defeat. Amen. I don't want to see any more spiritual grandstanding so the focus is off Jesus and on the person with the gift. I want to see Jesus lifted high. I want to see my God glorified. I want to have my prayers answered. Hallelujah. I want to be able to tell you every single Sunday how faithful God is. And I want to live it. And I want to walk it out. My wife is watching changes come in me at 72 years of age. She knows God is changing me. The things that I used to just pour out on her, I don't do. Oh, we'll go down a, we'll go down a road talking about some frustrating thing. And we'll catch one another. I'll say, honey... You know, and, and then, oh, it's not just me. She'll do the same thing to help me. She'll say, honey, let's, let, let, let's don't go down that road. 
Somebody wrote a song the other day, a few weeks ago. You know what it is? There's a lot of Pentecostals singing it. Not out loud, but in their own spirit. Song of defeat, dismal discouragement. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Linda Ronstadt made it famous in the 80s. Poor, poor, pitiful me. And it's all about this person did me wrong. I put my trust in that person. They did me wrong. I put my trust in this person. They did me wrong. Listen, if you're looking for applause, if you're looking for appreciation, if you're looking for people to really honor you for your sacrifices in their behalf, you are going to be disgusted and discouraged quickly. That's why the Bible said whatever you do concerning people, ministerially and otherwise, do it heartily. Put your whole heart in it as unto the Lord and not unto men. For you will be rewarded of who? All those people you invested in. No, 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 no. If I was ministering to ministers, I'd say, don't expect what you're not going to get. You do it as unto the Lord. Don't expect people to be faithful because you've loved them and been with them through the biggest crisis times of their life. They're not going to be. That's the reality. And if you don't do it unto the Lord, you'll get the poor pitiful me's like I've got before. But if you do it as unto the Lord, listen to this scripture. It's helped me so much. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You're doing it unto men for his sake, but do it as unto the Lord. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Not that he's your Lord, but as your service to the Lord. Amen? For you shall be rewarded of who? All those people you invested in over those years. Somebody say, well, look at here. Look at here. A lady said the other day to her family, she said, Brother Venable was with me through every crisis of our life. He was right there. Sometimes I left Christmas dinner to be at a hospital. And I come back and it was cold. My family had done eat. But I was right there. <laughs> Did it evoke some kind of loyalty to the ministry to help us to go on? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. What was the old country song? I looked the world over and I thought I'd found true love. And pfft, they were gone. Thank God you're still here. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're such an encouragement to me. But did you know something? I'm called to preach whether you're here or not. I'm not going to preach to an empty room. But I believe God will open a door. And one of the doors he's kept open in spite of the few people that are here, he's kept the door of the media ministry open. And God is blessing through it. And thank God for our media pastor as well, Brother Taylor. Listen to me carefully. I'm telling you all these things to let you know that there, it's so important that you not drift away with all those who are drifting. One pastor put it this way. I think it was me. You're in a boat. You're drifting. You're not purposely rowing with purpose and resolve in your heart. But you look around at the other boats. 
And they're all, right, here's a boat, right, there's a boat full of Christians, there's a boat full of Christians, here's a Christian in his boat. You're right there with all the other boats. That's not the issue. It's not your proximity to all the other boats that are drifting. It's how far your boat has drifted from the shore. It has to get personal with you and it has to get personal with me. And I thank God today to still be preaching because I came so close to getting so deep. I told you on the phone through a circumstance we were going through, I remember saying, I'm just tired. I'm just wore down and wore thin and I was fatigued in body, mind. I'm, I'm caregiving my dad. I'm caregiving the church. I'm caregiving my family. And I'm getting it in the neck. And if it was from the devil and his crowd, I'd just shake it off. But you know what David said? It wasn't my enemy that really got to me. It was my brother. It was someone I went up to the church to worship with. Someone I had confidence in and put my trust in and needed in my life. It should never come through brethren. We should build one another up. Help one another out. Encourage one another in the Lord. So I believe in revival by subtraction. And I believe this year over that we've been through has allowed for that subtraction to occur. And I rejoice. I rejoice. I don't want people who are not hungry here because we have nothing else to offer. We don't have a choir to entertain you. Amen? Do we? We don't have a choir to entertain you. We don't have a band for you to be entertained by. But their churches in this city has got them both. And you'll have a big time. But if no one teaches you the word of God, that's all you're going to have. And you're going to drift with the tide. And the tide is contrary to God. Hallelujah. Without revival, rededication, and a resolve to devote deeper, you will find yourself drifting away. And the only time you will wake up to your need is when the crisis comes and you don't have a shield of faith. When the crisis comes and you've drifted so far from God while going to church that you can't trust Him to take you through. And you feel alone and isolated. And I want you to be able to trust Him because He's so trustworthy. Hallelujah. I want you to know Him for yourself. Praise God that, that if I go home tomorrow, you are rooted and grounded and built up in Jesus. Can you say amen? And nothing's going to shake you from your faith in Him and your trust in Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for letting me tell you where I'm coming from and why I am the preacher that I am today and why I want to go forward. There's so many people tired and fatigued and 
wondering, what's he going to do? Is he just going to give up and give in? Is it time for him to ride off into the sunset? A lot of people would probably like that because we can all rest easy. There's no battle to fight, no victory to be won. But God isn't done. That's why I'm here this morning. God isn't done. I was ready, but he wasn't. And you know what he does when he's not ready? He puts a fire in your bone. And you say, what are you going to do with that fire? Well, I'm going to go be an evangelist to the world. The world don't know who I am. There's no door open to go evangelize the world except the media. And you know what this sermon's going to do this morning? It's going up on the air. Praise God. And I pray somebody with gifts of the Spirit will also begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit, will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Because Jesus thought it. Listen, you talk about status spiritually. The Bible said Jesus thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. But he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. Now what did it say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. What happened after the cross? Listen, closing with this. Will you stand your feet so you believe me that we're closing? Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last night I got, I, I got down on my, my heart, bowed before the Lord in front of my computer in the wee hours of the morning, and I humbled myself under the mighty hand of God. And whatever He does in my life, it'll be God's door, it'll be God's timing, it'll be God's anointing and God's Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Listen to me carefully. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you in due season when he's ready, when it's his timing. And because of that, it said, And God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name that's named, things in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth, that at the sound of his name, every knee bow. You can't be lifted any higher than he lifted Jesus because he humbled himself took our place on the cross to be obedient to his father praise god if every christian with gifts would humble themselves wow there would be no more sounding brass tinkling cymbal dueling prophets in a service trying to be seen and heard and trying to put themselves on a spiritual pedestal so they can speak condescending to other people the lord told me the lord showed me everything that you say like that is subjective amen i don't have to come under that nobody has to come under that can you say amen unless god is really speaking through someone and if he's really speaking through someone he's got to have a vessel that is humble and pure and committed to him and showing you jesus first not themselves